Steve Fitzpatrick is a champion again at the Country Club in Brookline. And once again, Zalatoris comes just short. Billy Foster's got his major, and Matthew Fitzpatrick has his first win. And for what feels like the fourth or fifth time in 2022, we have the runner-up. But we also have the winner. Matthew Fitzpatrick, cash it 50-1 to one for the third week in a row. Flag hunting is on top. Ian, I know that had to be a good feeling on Sunday. Absolutely, man. Uh, first major for flag hunting. So, you know, a little bit of a landmark there. Obviously, you know, you, you cast the Daytona 500 and the Talladega and the Geico 500 at Talladega. So that's about as close to a major as you can get in NASCAR, but uh, for me to take out a big one, it's uh, definitely a really nice feeling, and it, you know, get some eyes on our, our page, and um, welcome to anyone that's that's new listening here off of uh, a nice U.S. <laughs> win, but yeah, I, I couldn't be happier, man. It was uh, it was a crazy set Sunday, and um, you know, just, just a great day of golf, and happy we could obviously cash uh, a little 51 outright to go with it. Absolutely. And I need to apologize right off the top there as I just coughed into the mic. I haven't put a little under the weather tonight, but I'm going to try to mic as much as I can so that that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, so obviously we got Fitzpatrick 50 to 1. We got that in the future about a month and a half ago. Uh, we also were sitting kind of pretty because we had Willie Z sitting there as well. Um, I personally also had Rom on my card, but who was there for who's continuing for a little bit. But Scotty, man, Scotty was the only guy that was really the one that could spoil our card, really. Uh, it kind of felt like it felt weird. It almost felt like Kyle Larson of last year, where like we were, you know, we're kind of fans of Scotty and, and Larson, like, or obviously we're fans of Larson, but we're kind of fans of Scotty, but you hate to root against somebody like that when they're like on top of the world. But we had the other two guys in the hunt. Um, but I guess lesson learned, right? Right. It would have, it would have hurt pretty bad. I'll be honest with you. Cause you know me, like I'm, I'm pretty much a demon when it comes to futures. And then I convinced myself all these guys are 60 to one, 81 can win. So I, despite the fact I talked up Scheffler, he was my favorite play of kind of these guys that were sub 20 to one uh, last week. He, I mean, I think by the time he teed off, you can get a 16 or 18 to one on Scotty uh, outright. So I, I was basically preaching the entire week that that was such a good number. And I love Scotty this week. And if you would have roached that bet, that would have been uh, a little bit, uh, you know, tilting or irritating, but man, I, I just can't say enough about how well Fitzpatrick played. I mean, to hit 17 out of 18 greens for a guy that's, you know, has been fairly or unfairly labeled kind of a choke artist, at least here state size, um, really put all that criticism to rest. And yeah, I mean, you saw the emotion kind of after, uh, after he won, it's always, I mean, we're biased because we got money riding on it since, you know, we become fans of guys for four days, but um, you know, it was a really genuine reaction between him and his family there. And obviously he has a, a big time connection uh, to the golf course and the country club. So uh, yeah, Fitzpatrick getting the win and man, he looked really damn good all day long. I mean, he, from the jump, man, I mean, he was right there. He was, Feeling himself, you could tell he was he was swinging free, and um, you know, obviously made some big time clutch putts down the stretch when he needed to. So, fun day of golf. You know, we've we've been on on the bad end of a couple uh, tough breaks, uh, especially through May. There, we had a four straight weeks where we uh, had to come on here and fake some enthusiasm a little bit, but uh, you Not know, this week. yeah, pure pure just joy right now. I, I'm I'm so happy. You know. Um, two in a row for golf, three in a row for the podcast. And, you know, hopefully I hope all everyone that's out there listened to us last week that we we're, you know, I mean, we had the 51 future. I was still very bullish off Fitzpatrick. He was in my tier one last week at 28 or 30 to one. 
So hopefully everyone cashed that listened last week, and um, we got plenty of bankroll here coming into a, the kind of the home stretch of the NASCAR and golf uh, circuit. So lots to talk about, but great week uh, looking back. Absolutely, and it's it's curious to me how Willie Z is constantly priced at this like 25 to 30 range, but it feels like we're not going to get that anymore because what is that like what three or four straight majors where he's been like at least T5 or better? Um, I think T2 and three of them, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what you expect Willie Z to be priced at for the Open, um, but it feels like the days of Willie Z being priced in the 30s are probably gone. Uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, I think uh, the futures market right now has them around 20 or 22 to 1. Um, so, yeah, definitely people are catching up. They're catching on to the fact that this guy just T5s every single major he plays. Um, if I had to choose right now, he might be a fade for me at St. Andrews, if only because I don't expect him to play near as, near as difficult as a Brookline or a Southern Hills or an Augusta National, just because it is so wide open. It's a bit shorter, excuse me, than a lot of those major courses. So I think Willie Z does his best work on these longer difficult golf courses and whenever the winning score crests 18 19 20 under even deeper than that um i do feel like you know his birdie making ability goes a little bit uh or maybe is a bit of a detriment to him because he, he doesn't he's not the kind of guy i feel like <clears throat> at least consistently that makes enough birdies to really contend at these birdie fests I, I like him a lot more when the ball striking is uh is more of an emphasis at, at these really really difficult golf courses and um yeah, not to say that I'm not ever betting Willie Z to major again. I mean, we, I think Augusta plus U.S. Open plus PGA, like that's kind of his jam. And we've seen, you know, I think he finished, what, seventh, second, second, his last three major starts. So, um, yeah, it was I, I personally was pulling for Willie Zell towards down the stretch, um, you know, just because we had the number of the week of and I felt like more people would be on board with a 30 to one. We I, I called it on. Um, our friend Derek's podcast or his uh, Twitter space last week. I, I called Willis out towards 30 to one. That was my biggest bet of the week. And um, yeah, for those of y'all that have Willis tickets, trust me, we we know exactly what it's like to to be cl- so close yet so far with him losing in two playoffs just this year. So um, man, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the, the kid is so so good. He's he's just for 71 holes. It felt like um, it feels like he's right there every single time and uh, just finds a way to kind of lose by one or lose by two on every single one of these tournaments. So at this point, you know, you, you can speculate the fact that, uh, you know, at some point this, these kind of close calls might get to him from a mental standpoint, but I mean, how can you not just continue to keep riding with this kid? Cause um, it's pretty clear to me that, you know, he's kind of the class of this next generation coming up in golf. Um, whether you want to rank him ahead of more cow and hobbling or, or right alongside them, he's clearly right there with them. Absolutely. I think, especially when it comes to majors. I mean, that's probably why we get the number that we get on him is because it seems like he's not really there for the non-major events. I mean, unless it's a major setup, you know, I think we've seen some courses that were major setups where he's really competed. But, I mean, it sounds sad, but, like, it's kind of what you hope for is, like, hey, maybe leading up to one of these majors, he'll be kind of, like, struggling a little bit, and that way we get a better number for him at the majors. But, hey, we'll see. Um, we will. Open championship in just three weeks, so we, we don't have long to wait before uh, the final, the maiden major of the year uh, comes through. And if it's anything like the first three, man, I mean, we had Sheffield's coronation at Augusta. We had, obviously, the J-Teams out towards playoff there, uh, Southern Hills, and then, obviously, the, the three-horse race with Patrick, Scheffler, and, and Zally um, there at, uh, at Brookline. So just a phenomenal day of golf. Obviously, uh, we came out really, really happy, but just in terms of, like, just a golf tournament, I mean, that Sunday at Brookline was about as high quality as you could ask for as a PGA Tour fan. I mean, that was just um, 
three guys, especially on that back nine, kind of at the peak of their powers and, um, you know, very slim margins came through. I mean, and Fitzpatrick had to hole a 55 footer across the green to, to end up being the difference. So at this, at this uh, level, you know, um, at the, at the business end of these major championships, it's really who kind of can capitalize and who can catch that, that bit of magic and that bit of, uh, a bit of history. And Fitzpatrick certainly came up with his fair share of, uh, of clutch shots there towards the end. Yep, absolutely. So with that being said, uh, we're looking for our fourth outright in a, in a row this week. So between the two events, we've got, you know, obviously the travelers, um, in, uh, Connecticut, and then we've got uh, NASCAR and Nashville this week. So we're going to start out with the Travelers. So um, we're staying in the Northeast in Connecticut at TPC River Highlands. So Ian, I'll let you uh, go ahead and give your breakdown. Yeah, brother. TPC River Highlands, Cromwell, Connecticut, 2022 Travelers. Uh, one of my favorite little courses kind of on the PGA Tour. I think it's a really unique course. I think it's a really fun course to go to, um, especially after the kind of grind and guile that was on display at the U.S. Open. This is more of a laid-back atmosphere. Um, always one of the most well-supported golf courses on tour, uh, tournaments on tour, I should say. And, uh, you know, they've got a, you know, Cromwell has a really, really good track record taking care of the players and, um, you know, making this a really, really nice experience. I think that's why you see so many of the top names that we will talk about, uh, on the odds board, but onto the course, uh, TBC River Highlands is a 6,841 yard par 70. It's the second shortest course on the PGA tour after the Bermuda. Um, I think it's called Port Royal down there where they host the Butterfield Bermuda championship. Uh, where we hit Lewis Herbert actually at 175 to one. So some good vibes on these short golf courses. It's Pete Dye design. Uh, the first we've seen since we played Harbor Town and TBC Louisiana for the Zurich back to back. When you look at the past champions here, uh, last year, the defending champion Harris English at 13 under par over Kramer Hickok in an eight hole playoff. Dustin Johnson won here at 2020 at 19 under. Uh, Shez Reeve in 20, or I'm sorry, Dustin Johnson at, in 2020 at 19 under, Shez Reeve in 2019 at 17 under, uh, Bubba Watson won in 2018 at 17 under, 2017 Jordan Spieth beat Daniel Berger in a playoff at 12 under, 2016 Russell Knox at 14 under, and 2015 Bubba Watson at 16 under over Paul Casey in a playoff. Uh, Bubba also won here in 2010, making River Highlands the second venue on tour where Watson has won three times, uh, Riviera being the other, but unfortunately for uh, for us gamblers, Bubba not in the field this week as he tends to uh, his tournaments because he suffered at the PGA Championship. Um, On to the actual golf course. Uh, TBC River Highlands, kind of, again, Pete Dye, very tree-lined, very positional, but not nearly as tight as a Colonial or Harbor Town. Uh, driving accuracy is well above tour average at 69%, around about 69%. Um, so it is pretty lenient off the tee, but if you do start to get wayward, this course is not afraid. Uh, to kind of chew you up and spit you out. Uh, River Highlands ranked ninth last year in missed fairway penalties. So basically um, your percentage chance of making bogey increased um, drastically whenever you miss the fairway here, um, as well as top 15 in penalty strokes per round and reloads per round. Reloads per round being basically reteeing um, with your third shot. So basically if you go into a body water and don't cross dry land, or if you go OB, you're reteeing on a tee for three. So, um, you know, certainly, you know, you look at a course that's 6,800 yards and, you think, you know, a lot of wedges, a lot of short clubs, a lot of scoring clubs, a lot of birdies to be made, but certainly some bigger numbers um, on the cards here as well at River Highlands uh, with the, just the just the um, the amount of penalty errors and the amount of danger that, that Pete Dye does put you in. Uh, we've seen a fair share of long drivers have success here. You know, Bubba Watson and, D- and DJ being the kind of the standouts, but guys have also gotten it done with a much more controlled game plan off the tee. So, Past champions like Cesar Reeve, Russell Knox, Kevin Streelman, these are guys that 
plotters. They keep it in play, um, hit their irons well, and you know hopefully make enough putts. So guys that play a little more safer off the tee have still had uh, their fair share of success here. Uh, Jim Furyk famously has recorded the, the lowest round on the PGA Tour to date, to 58 here at the Travelers back in 2015, I believe. Um, and then if you look just, I mean, last or two years ago, Dustin Johnson, uh, the year Dustin Johnson won, he was in a final group with Brandon and Todd. So you've got the bomber and DJ, the ultimate plotter, accurate control player, Brandon Todd, were able to come together and really compete for that kind of, uh, for that 2020 title. So just further emphasis that, uh, you know, there's multiple ways to get it done off the tee here. A lot of options for these guys. Um, overall, just like Harbortown, I'm not placing that much emphasis either way on off the tee play. As far as distance versus accuracy, like I said, most guys will end up laying up and playing from similar spots for forced layups. So very similar like an Innisbrook or uh, these positional courses like that where there are hazards that fairway pinches in. Pete Dye is very good at kind of making his golf courses a little bit power proof uh, to an extent where guys can't just swing free with a driver uh, because you run on a fairway. So I will, you know, even though it's a short golf course, guys will still be kind of having to lay back and not, you know, just going full board of these greens and whatnot. So um, I'll be leaning largely on good drives gained uh, to pinpoint guys that don't tend to get in much trouble off the tee, as well as strokes gained off the tee leaders from courses under 7,200 yards. So a lot of guys, we'll talk about them later uh, on the betting card, but guys that uh, tend to succeed um, permanently when courses are a bit shorter. And, uh, you know, maybe they, if you're a longer guy, maybe you take drive out of your hand, or if you're a shorter hitter, maybe you're so accurate that uh, the fact that you're so accurate, you can kind of, be a bit more aggressive where other guys really can't. So you can gain a bit of advantage that way. So uh, moving on iron play, as you would expect from a course playing under 6,900 yards, approaches at the Travelers are largely skewed under 175 compared to most weeks on tour. Uh, we're looking at about 48% of approaches historically have come from 125 to 175. And there's a massive 8% difference in approaches here on 175 yards plus. So the tour average typically on a typical week from 175 yards now, it's about 40%. This week it's only 32%. Um, so again, Wedge play, short iron play is going to be much more paramount for me uh, compared to long iron play. From a distribution standpoint, every 25 yard proximity range from 0 to 175 is at or above tour average here. So, again, my basic profile this week um, revolves around guys that are good total drivers of the golf ball. No particular emphasis on driving or on distance versus accuracy, um, but good overall total drivers, guys that don't get in a lot of trouble off the tee. And then guys who can stick their wedges and short irons and are capable of getting hot enough on the greens to kind of keep up with the birdies that will be flowing uh, this week at, at River Highlands. So my key stats all around, like I said, strokes gained off the tee at short golf courses under 7,200 yards, good drives gained, uh, strokes gained approach, emphasis from 125 to 175, where about 40, 48% of uh, approaches will come from this week. Par four scoring from 400 to 450, uh, which I believe eight or nine of the par fours this week will be from that range. So you're going to get a lot of kind of driver wedges or a lot of three wood short irons into green, so par four scoring 400 to 450 is really crucial for me. Uh, birdies are better gained and opportunities gained. Again, a lot of scoring clubs for these guys, so the more opportunities you can gain inside 15, 10, 15 feet, obviously the better your uh, chances will be. And then I'm looking at comp course history as well. Uh, I talked about kind of Harbor Town as being a Pete Dye short positional golf course, uh, Colonial that we just went to, the Charles Schwab. Um, again, not a place where you're going to be able to overpower too much, but a place where you can keep it in play, rely on your iron game. Um, and you can have a lot of success here. And then Pebble Beach is another one that's, you know, one of the shorter courses on tour, a lot of short irons, a lot of wedges, um, and not really as much of an emphasis on driving distance. So uh, Colonial, Harbor Town, Pebble Beach. I put Innisbrook in there as well, just because of a lot of crossover success with a lot of the champions. Uh, Bubba Watkins had a lot of success at Innisbrook. Um, so is Jordan Spieth. So 
there's been a bit of a crossover in terms of uh, past champions. Um, and Innsbruck, again, is a place where you do have to lay up quite a bit. It, there's more of an emphasis on long iron play at, at, at the Copperhead course versus here. But uh, I did kind of consider that a little bit when it comes down to my comp course history. So um, finally, I guess stroke game putting, you know, the winning score here hasn't been as low as you would think for a course this this short. But, you know, pretty, pretty much pretty uniformly, it's been from 12 to 18 under over the last six years. So, um, you know, we've seen some super low scores. Patrick Cantley actually had his coming out party in the 2010 or 2011 Travelers where he shot then course record uh, 60, 10 under par as an amateur, as a 19-year-old amateur. Uh, five years later, Jim Furyk obviously broke the PGA Tour scoring record, shooting a 58 there. Mackenzie Hughes in 2020 shot a 10 under 60. So there's a lot of birdies flying around. So I, I do feel like the guys that, uh, you know, quote-unquote team no putt is going to have, you know, a bit of a bit more of an uphill battle this week um, compared to especially last week at Brookline where you kind of lean on your TD green play, lean on your ball striking um, because the winning score is not going to get too far ahead of you. I do feel like you're going to have to make a, a fair few putts here to, uh, to contend here at, uh, at the Traveler. So with that, let me give my, um, my quick top, uh, we'll say just top 20 or top 15. We'll just go top 15 on the model. Uh, this is over the last three months on tour. So usually it's, it's somewhere between 22 and 32 rounds. Uh, for these guys, but my number one player in the model is Muto Pereira. Uh, spoiler for later on. Uh, Tony Finau rates out as number two. Rory McIlroy is number three. Scotty Scheffler is number four. Justin Thomas, five. Sam Burns, six. Aaron Wise, seven. Jordan Spieth, eight. Davis Rowley, nine. Joaquin Neiman, ten. And then you have Sung J.M., Keegan Bradley, Xander Shoffley, Brennan Steele, and Patrick Cantley uh, from 10 through 15. So um, you'll notice a lot of guys in the betting card and a lot of guys we'll be talking about later. Uh, but yeah, those are my top 15 in the model, and uh, we'll uh, go ahead and talk about my bets and the betting board as a whole. Yeah, and as soon as you said uh, the team no put and guys that have the plus bur- or plus putting, there's two names on the card that stuck out to me. Oh, well, that makes sense now, but we'll get there shortly. So uh, obviously not a lot to be said about these top three guys. We know these top three guys are, are here for a reason. They deserve to be here for a reason, but um, actually, well, no, yeah, I'm going to leave it these three, uh, but Rory McIlroy. Uh, Scotty Scheffler and Justin Thomas all in the 10 to 12 range. Um, obviously, we saw Rory have a – he had a good tournament, just not quite enough on Saturday, really, and then kind of a slow start on Sunday. Um, and then Scotty, if it wasn't for the back nines, I think Scotty would have ran away with this tournament. He was flawless on the front nines uh, yeah. going out, but then coming back in, that was his demise. It seemed like that same hole uh, – is it 12, where it's like if you don't quite hit that green, that plateaus down, just rolls back down to you. That was yeah. like his demise. 10, 11, and 12 were his kryptonite all week long. And you think about Scotty, I mean, he was six under walking off six green. Yeah. You know, with the winning score. So Scotty's definitely got to, um, you know, be a little bit hard done by by the Sunday at Brookline. You know, he was certainly the favorites or the pretty much the runaway favorite through six or seven holes there. Um, and to your point, kind of hit that roadblock, the same roadblock he hit, excuse me, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I mean, obviously, it's, it's really tough for me to come out here and tout like a 10 or 12 to one guy. Um, you know, for Scheffler and Rory, I think things are a little bit different, uh, considering they were in contention, uh, for a lot of that week. Um, you know, obviously with Scheffler, like, I'm not going to be surprised if he comes out in here and just surpasses our expectations for like the 15th time this season. Um, but you know, you got, you got to keep in mind the last two guys that went down to the wire to a major and then came out the next week. Uh, you talk about Cam Smith after the masters came to Harbortown, uh, following, he was in the final group at the masters, you know, for 
bits and for spurts of that day, he felt like he might have had a chance within one or two of Scheffler, uh, but came to Harbortown the next week and missed the cut. Uh, after the PGA Championship, both JT and Will Zalatoris, fresh off their playoff battle at Southern Hills, came to Colonial, both missed the cut. So um, for me, the U.S. Open, I mean, it's even more taxing than any other major championship just because of the conditions, just the conditions, the setup, um, you know, the mental toil these guys have to deal with. And uh, for guys like Scheffler and Rory, uh, I just don't think you can really discount the metal wear that it's it's taken on them, especially when you're asking me to pay a 10 to one, uh, even nine to one price in some spots. So um, for me, I'm as comfortable fading these two as I probably ever will be, uh, especially considering the firepower that we'll be talking about later down the board. Um, yeah, Scheffler, I, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Scheffler over Rory. Um, you know, Rory put his, put his ass off at, at Brookline. You know, he gained over 10 shots putting. Uh, to the field. I mean, he was making everything for four days. It kind of felt like during certain points of the week, it was kind of just Rory's destiny to just win this tournament because he was every time he needed like a 10 foot par save, he just, it was dead center. And when you look back at like major champions, you know, those are the type of, um, especially the US Open, those are the type of moments that really solidify these guys as contenders and, and they can look back on and, you know, point to why they won the US Open that week. And uh, Rory did everything he could possibly do with a putter, but uh, couldn't get it done. Came up four shots short of his fifth major title. Um, you know, he's now playing for the fourth straight week uh, on the PJ Tour, coming off four days at the top of a grueling U.S. Open leaderboard. Uh, so I don't really care what anyone says this week. Rory, Rory for me, like, I, I can't see how his mind is possibly on this tournament right now. Uh, he's looking ahead, obviously, to St. Andrews, a place that he's had a lot of success at through his career. Uh, the Scottish is in two weeks, a little warm-up event at the PJ Tour co-station with the European Tour. So, um, if there's anyone that I am kind of fading at the top of the board, it would be Rory. Um, and JT, there's not really that much bad I can say about him. Uh, if there is a play at the top of the board, I was kind of camping out. I, I waited till Tuesday mornings, mid morning slash early afternoon to place my bets. Cause I was kind of hoping for a JT like 14 or 16 to pop up. Uh, that never did. He was kind of 12 to one across the board. Not a quite enough value for me, but yeah, JT's just a guy that, He's the best wedge player on the PGA Tour, and if he can keep the driver in play, he's just going to have so many looks from inside, like 120 here. And uh, if there's a guy I think that can run away with this thing, it, it, JT scares him the most because he's just perfectly capable of just sticking every wedge he looks at to like five feet, rolling the putt in. So uh, if you're looking at matchups, if you're looking at like DraftKings or whatever, uh, at the top of the board, JT's my favorite. But uh, yeah, couldn't quite get there on the outright. So a good little segue since you brought up um, DraftKings or DFS. Uh, Ian did just um, take part in a, another podcast tonight. He was on IBT Media's, um, oh, guys, is it the 19th hole? Is that what it's called? 19th hole, yeah. 19th hole. Um, and they talked mostly DFS plays. So I know that's a little out of Ian's realm. So, um, But I'm sure he killed it. I'm uh, eager to go back and listen to it, and I urge everybody to do the same. Uh, IBT Media is found on both Twitter and uh, YouTube. Um, but anyways, next on the board here in this next range is Patrick Cantley, Sam Burns, Xander Shoffley, and Jordan Spieth. We've got four of those names, or sorry, two of those names on our card. Um, mm-hmm. One at a slightly different number. And then one you mentioned is um, not on our card, but um, had his breakout performance of Travelers. So I guess t- kind of talk through these four names and, and how you uh, came to the two that you did. Yeah, so Cantley was a guy, again, very much like JT that uh, I'm scared of this week. Um, obviously, we talked about his breakout performance coming at the 2011 Travelers as a 19-year-old amateur. His last four starts here, he's come 11th, 12th, 13th, and 13th, I'm pretty sure. Four straight top 15s for Cantley here. And uh, he's coming off a, a third-place Memorial, uh, another golf course he tends to play really well at. Obviously, uh, played really well 
probably should have won the Harbortown edition in 2022 here, another short Pete Dye course, and then coming off a top 15 at the U.S. Open. So I think Cantley's kind of rounding into decent form. For me, though, he's 14-1 to at the board I'm looking at, and I don't really see too many numbers better than that. So if it were me, uh, I think I'd rather just go to JT at 12 than have Cantley at 14, even though I, I do like Cantley. It's very hard for me to sit here and, and say he's not going to play well because I think he would. But if he was like 18-1, to 20-1, to he would be a bet for me. Um, but you know, books are smart enough to, to put him here at 14 and if he wins, then so be it. Uh, I've got, like you said, two guys here, Sam Burns and Jordan Spieth, both of my card at 22 to one. Um, let's start with Burns. I just think for me, it's like, he's just so underrated. Like we've, we've kind of faded, like we hit Burns at the Valspar at 25 to one. And since then we've kind of laid off of Sam and, and, you know, there's no way he can do it again. Like eventually he's got to get kind of a cold streak going. Um, but he continues to play great and books continue to price him about the same place. They've been pricing him all year. So, um, anyway, I can, anytime I can get a 20, 22 to one on a guy like this, who's been in such good form, he's been in contention seemingly every single week. Um, I'm going to take it, you know, the round four ball striking at Brookline was tough. You know, he came into that, uh, that final round group with Rory, uh, just three off the lead. If he, you know, goes out there and posts uh, 67 or 66, he makes it really interesting on the leaders. Um, you know, obviously did not have a great, uh, round four, but, I still kind of love this spot for Sammy. He already won at the Charles Schwab the week after a major and was in contention here last year heading to Sunday. He finished 13th, but came into that Sunday very much in the mix at the Travelers. He's has three starts here. He's never missed the cut, and he's improved every single time from a 42nd to a 26th to a 13th. Um, so, again, I just can't feel – I can't help but feel he doesn't really get the respect he deserves given how much he finds himself in the mix. Um, we know he's a, one of the best putters on the PJ tour. He's one of the best wedge players over the last, uh, six months on the PJ tour. He raced out fourth in my proximity model from 125 to 175. And he's actually the best overall approach player, um, in this field. So you get a burn, you get a wedge in Sam, Sam Burns hands. Um, and I trust him to make birdie, you know, at a, at a greater rate than a lot of these guys at the top of the board. So, uh, Burns 22 to one is, uh, my favorite bet of the week, uh, at least at the top of here. But I also have I have money on Jordan Spieth uh, at 22 to one as well with another kind of case where I was pretty surprised about the number. Um, he's a past winner here, uh, won the Travelers in 2017, obviously beating Daniel Berger in the playoff, that iconic bunker shot that he hit in the playoff uh, holdouts from Greenside to kind of uh, to steal that win there. Jim Nance had the crazy call. That's the one where he, um, I guess he he kind of chest bumped uh, Michael Grello there on the on the 18th green through his club in the bunker. So everyone knows about the Jordan Spieth win in 2017, but um, not only is it a past winner, it's a great number at 22 to one. It's about the same number we were asked to bet him last week at the U.S. Open. And if I'm going to bet Jordan Spieth at this point, it's going to be at a, a shorter golf track. Uh, he's dominated these short tracks all year, all year long. He's came seventh at Colonial, uh, second at Pebble Beach. He won at Harbortown. Um, yeah, he finished T37 at Brookline, but the irons were phenomenal. He gained over three and a half shots on approach. And um, yeah, he, he's kind of in position, unlike Rory and unlike Scheffler, where Finished in T37. He kind of had a bit of a hit and giggle on the weekend. Never really had a chance to win. So I don't think he comes out very much worse for wear mentally compared to those guys. And like I said, um, you get this guy, you get Jordan on a short track that's positional where he has a lot of wedges in his hand. He has a lot of chance to make birdie. Um, I like that. I like that fit a lot. So for me, Jordan and Burns are my two favorites, uh, 22 to one each. And um, yeah, they'll be leading the card this week. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm stoked to have Sammy back on the card because like yeah. you just mentioned, he wasn't really in contention on Sunday, but um, he was in the mix coming into Sunday. Um, yeah. And and they talked about, you know, many times that day how Sunday didn't work out for him, but he was still making, <laughs> he's just a menace on the greens. I mean, like 
even yeah. even, even on a uh, a course like that at Brookline where the the greens were like virtually impossible and he was just still just putting them down. He's so pure, man. Like every uh, we talk about we talk about like ten footed for your life. Like who do you want putting a ten footed for your life? We talk about Cam Smith a lot, Cantley at the end of last year, but for me, man, I mean every putt burns hits. It looks like it's going in, and at a place like this where. He's going to have a lot of wedges. He's going to have a lot of scoring clubs and have a lot of birdie chances. Like he's a guy that I think could just gain like seven strokes putting and and really put some low scores down here at River Highlands. So yeah, I couldn't be more ex- excited to have Burns on the card. Like you said, we've already cashed a ticket on him. So let's uh, let's make it two in a row and maybe Burns can get his first uh, win outside the Southeast. You know, and kind of work his way uh, into an all-world kind of player. And no fits to speak either, because as soon as you said, you know, the design of the course and that that uh, Town was a comp course, I was like, oh, yep. Okay, speaks this here, checks out. So next range, uh, the high 20s, low 30s, we've got Joaquin Neiman, Sung J.M., Davis Riley, Keegan Bradley, and Tony Finau. So we've got another two names in this mix. Um, obviously, Keegan coming off a, a really emotional week in Boston where he, I don't know if you saw that his post-round uh, interview after he finished on, on Sunday, but he was like, or actually it might have been Saturday, <laughs> where he made the comment like, the reporter was like, you know, that had to be a cool moment for you coming up on 18 and getting that roar from the crowd. He was like, that might have been the coolest moment of my entire career. Um, so uh, I don't know how that makes you feel about this week, but uh, he's still in the Northeast. So I'm sure a lot of those a lot of those fans will still be there. Um, but, yeah, obviously, we've got Davis Riley and Fino on the card. So I'll let you talk about how you came to those guys. Yeah, I mean, Keegan's a guy that, you know, keep in mind, he's won a major championship. He's a PGA champion. So. For, uh, for it to mean that much to him, obviously, he has got a extensive track record in, in Boston, in Connecticut, in Vermont, uh, playing really, really well. He's been a runner-up here. I think he was runner-up to Chez Reby in 2019, uh, memory serves. So uh, he's the guy I definitely gave a look to. But for me, when it comes to just outright win equity, I think he's a safer play. Like if you're looking at DraftKings, a cash game lineup, um, this course sets up really, really well for him. But if you're asking me to bet him at 33-1, to when guys like Finau, Riley, to your points, uh, Neiman are all there. Like he's just the guy I trust the least to to outright win this thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Keegan's kind of the obvious free square play. But for me, if I'm looking again, if I'm looking at an outright winner, I'm I've let me start with Tony Finau, 33 to one. This is my first click of the week. Um, this is a guy that I really actually liked last week, even though he missed the cut on the number uh, at Brookline, but. You know, here we are getting basically the exact same number, uh, just like Spieth. You know, I mean, Fino was 33 or 40 to one at uh, at the U.S. Open. He comes in to to uh, the the Travelers Championship at the pretty much the exact same number. Um, when you look at Fino, obviously everyone knows Fino is a bomber. Um, you know, he's one of the longest guys on the PGA Tour, but he actually does his best work on these shorter golf courses. Um, he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball on courses underneath 7,200 yards. So you look at his kind of his past performances this year. He's gained over 2.5 strokes off the tee at Colonial, at TPC Potomac, at Royals, or not at Royals, but just regular St. George's in Canada. Um, so he, he routinely dominates these kind of short courses off the tee. And he's in the middle of really just a crazy hot iron run. He's he's gained uh, 1.8, excuse me, strokes on off the tee or Strokes on approach in two rounds of Brookline, despite the miscut, gained almost a stroke per round with his irons. Uh, he gained 3.3 at RBC Canada, where he finished runner-up. Gained 4.9 at Colonial, where he finished fourth. Uh, 2.2 at Southern Hills, and 8.2 in Mexico, where he finished second. So um, he's basically inside the top 20 in every one of my key metrics this week. And like I said, we're getting the same number we got last week at the U.S. Open. So I love this spot for Tony to get back to his contending ways. Um, this is a place where he can kind of swing free. He can make a ton of birdies take advantage of his wedge play, which has actually been super, super good. In this field, he's actually uh, number seven in this field from proximity from 125 to 175. So 
Uh, even though, again, Tony, you think of Tony being, you know, maybe a long, difficult course specialist, but was, especially this year, he's uh, really shown out, excuse me, on these shorter golf courses. So, yeah, I love Fiend out 33 to 1. And then you mentioned Davis Riley, who I was able to get a 45 to 1. Um, 40s were hanging around there for a long time. I guess he has drifted to 33, if I if I heard you correctly there. But uh, yeah, Riley's a guy that I I'm so excited for. Uh, we haven't actually bet him this year, uh, which has been a bit of a travesty because I've been modern Davis Riley and I I love his game and we just haven't really found a spot in the card. But I think this is kind of the spot. Um, you know, just to go back three months ago, obviously we had Sam Burns at the Valdezbar uh, that beat Davis Riley in Sun Death Playoff, and I kind of came on. I think I came on the next week and I really kind of discounted how good I thought Davis Riley was. Um, really, I, I didn't, I was kind of fading the Riley hype after that. You know, even though he finished runner up, he'd really kind of lived and died on a short game. And that's not something that we think is all that sustainable here. Week in, week out. If you're gaining seven strokes around the greens and chipping and everything and, and making every putt you look at for a week, like you tend to regress pretty fast. Um, but he's proven me wrong, man. Over these last five weeks, Riley might be the best iron player walking the face of the earth. Uh, right now, he's gained no less than 3.7 strokes on approach in his last five starts. He's averaging a whopping 1.5 strokes gained per round. That's like Justin Thomas, Colmore, Cowan type numbers with your irons. Um, he's had four top 15s um, in his last five starts, plus a T31 at last week's U.S. Open. So he cast a little top 40 bet that we uh, we kind of alluded to with uh, with Derek last week. Or last week, I'm sorry. And so, yeah, he's kind of came. He's really gone full circle in my eyes. He's come from a guy that I thought could never really keep it up or sustain success to a guy that I really can't picture. I mean, the way he's hitting the ball right now, I can't picture a way that he doesn't find his way into the winning circle soon. So um, I think at this point with, you know, riding the irons, we're getting a good number at 40 to one. And, you know, he's not only been um, not only been great from a staff perspective, but he, like I said, he's been in contention at colonial. Um, he was popping up around the PGA championship and whatnot. So, He's kind of found his way around the top of these leaderboards. And again, I think the books are a little bit are kind of sleeping on uh, on him for for other guys that um, that have more than any value. Yeah, as you were talking about, it, I was like, wait a second. I forgot that I played a prop on him last week. I played a T20 bet on him. He finished T31. So it's yeah. literally so close. Um, but yeah, Davis is a guy, obviously, that we talked, talked a little bit last week. And um, yeah, I think. I think it was Mark Immelman actually today. I listened to the first cut podcast uh, earlier earlier today. Yep. It was either him or, or Jonathan Coachman. One of them said um, Davis Riley is going to be like a top 15 player in the next like year. And I, I I could see it. I mean, this kid's showing between him and Cam Young, they're showing signs of brilliance. And I think, you know, they're, they're kind of the next young crop coming up. Yeah. Don't forget about the next guy we're going to talk about if you look on the betting card. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was <laughs> leading right into it. Uh, but yeah, as, as you just mentioned, there is uh, another guy that we. I've been touting pretty much for the last, what, seven, eight months now. Um, but we'll, but um, in this range, which, by the way, I'm going to I'm gonna say a name in this range that I was surprised is still on the board. Uh, if you are living under a rock, don't bet this name. But Brooks Koepka is still sitting here at 40 to 1. Uh, he has now joined the Live Tour. So uh, don't bet that because that's going to be gone. Um, I think he might still be playing the Travelers. I thought you from, couldn't, though. From I mean, I just haven't seen any notifications that he's been, like, kicked off. So, um yeah, I, I guess it's up to the PJ Tour, but as of right now, he's still in the field, so he's, I guess, planning on teeing it up. I, I, your guess is as good as mine, but yeah, either way, we're not betting Brooks. 
Yeah. Okay. But yeah, we'll we'll skip out of that. I guess I guess I was doing that as kind of like a disclaimer, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. But I just assume I just assume as soon as they announced that they were joining Live that they were ineligible. But it makes sense. But we I haven't seen any notification from the tour that he's like not playing this week. So he's still on the PJ Tour app as like having a tee time. So okay. I don't know. There's somebody somewhere in Connecticut that's like the first alternate for this event that's like just PJ Tour that's like hoping the PJ Tour like come on let's let's pass some judgment here so I can get in the stamp field and try to make some money. Um, but yeah. That's for another podcast. Brooks, yep. is, Brooks has been around for, for a little bit. For, uh, for probably, long, the least, yeah, probably the least surprising guy to join the Lyft Tour, to be completely honest with you. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Next up, um, obviously, this 40 range, you got Aaron Wise, Brian Harmon, um, Mita Pereira, Seamus Power, Tommy Fleetwood, and that's it for that range. Um, so we've obviously got one in that range, but there's a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of buzz on Twitter for Seamus Power this week. So I'm curious to see if you found anything in, in your model for him. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you look at kind of the last few years on the on at the Traveler specifically. Um, you look at 2021 last year, Harris English was a guy that popped at the U.S. Open. I think he ended up finishing T3 or T4 um, at Torrey Pines, came back the next week at uh, at the Travelers, was priced in this about, about this exact same range, ended up winning the golf tournament. Um, and then you look in 2019 at Pebble Beach, Shazri finishes T3 at the U.S. Open, um, shows a lot of prowess with his ball striking, comes to the Travelers the next week, and and wins that tournament. So power, I think power, Damon, um, I'm trying to think. There's another, maybe Wise is up there as well. Um, is Danny McCarthy in this field? McCarthy, yeah, exactly. Keegan is another guy. But you see a lot of a lot of touts coming on here and, uh, you know, kind of projecting the same ordeals we've seen the last couple of years and the last couple of instances that the Travelers has, surpassed, has uh, followed the U.S. Open. And you're trying to call your shot. And power, power had a phenomenal week. Um, at the U.S. Open, he finished T14, game with his irons. He's actually a, a really good player when it comes to short golf courses. Um, you know, obviously he had that kind of crazy stretch there in Pebble Beach where he um, was lapping the field through about two and a half days, and then you know fell back to earth and ended up, I think, finishing like T14 or something like that. So uh, for me, power. I mean, if you're asking me to bet him at 40 to one in a field like this, like I just think there's better golfers around him. And yeah, sure, like he's playing well right now, but so are a lot of other guys that I think have just more upside. So um, speaking of which, Mita Pereira, 50 to one. If you didn't know this was coming, then you haven't watched the flag hunting podcast for too long. Uh, we were on him at 80 to one last week, you know, slight blip in the Mita Pereira profile. He missed the cut on the number at the U S open. Um, but that doesn't really, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm staying off of basically the best ball striker we've seen in the world over the last three months. I mean, let me just give you some stats here. He's been fourth off the tee uh, and strokes gained off the tee. I'm sorry. Over his last three months, Second on approach, first in opportunities gained, which is any birdie look inside 15 feet that you're able to to, to earn for yourself. Fifth in birdies a better gain, first in good drives gained, fifth in par fours going from 400 to 450 yards, third in TD green play, first in overall ball striking. Guys with these type of numbers are the guys winning on the PGA Tour. Like guys just don't don't just pop in these models and then not perform. I know he's become a bit of a meme at this point with like the outright community. Cause so many of us like sat nerds are chasing the elusive Mito outright. Um, but I don't see any compelling reason at 50 to one to fade him at this point before his miscut of the Brookline or at the US Open, I should say he had a 13th, a seventh, a third, a 17th, a 26th and a 13th in his last six starts. So again, we're, we're kind of on the same train as we were in the fall until he proves he's not like one of the best ball strikers on planet earth. Like, yeah, I'm going to play him at 50 to one or 40 to one, um, whatever you're going to give me. So um, I think he's 
I think clearly the most talented player in this range. I'm a Mito truther. I'm going to be there when he wins. Um, the PJ championship scared me too much. So call a FOMO, call it whatever you want. But um, yeah, you give me this number on Mito and I'm just going to click it, especially in a place like River Highlands. Like I, I don't see the winning score getting above 20, 21, 2200. Like this is, I think Mito's TD green prowess will still play really, really well here. And um, he doesn't have to gain like six strokes putting. He can kind of let his ball strike and do the work, shoot three, four under every single day. And there are plenty of birdie chances on this course. So, um, yeah, I'm all over me to Pereira this week. I hope uh, y'all are too. And 40, 45, 50 to one, no matter what you can get him at, I'm, I'm all in. I mean, I, at this point, we're we're a little bit too far gone. But like I said, the ball striking is too good. And one week of quote-unquote subpar play for Mito, even though he gained on approach last week and gained with a putter, missed the cut in the number. Um, it's not enough for me to fade again, like the number one guy in my model at 50 to one. So that's my spin. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't know, or, or maybe new to listening, uh, it almost crushed Ian when we weren't on Mito at the PGA Championship, and he almost brought it home. So he's not going to let that happen again. Um, so, yeah, I guess that pretty much wraps up in this range. Um, we have one other deeper cut, so I'm just going to kind of lump this in together and say, you know, I'll let you talk about your deep cut. And then since you were just on the IBT podcast or uh, podcast talking um, some DFS plays, maybe there's anybody else in that kind of deeper range that you'll kind of want to talk about. Yeah, certainly. I don't know how much uh, how much time you want me to spend on the the guys at the bottom of the board here, but uh, let's let's start with my favorite. So my guy at 150 to one, I bet Cameron Davis. Um, so for me, Cameron Davis is very is a very similar profile to Finau. So I talked about Finau being a bomber that actually kind of plays his best around shorter tracks. Um, Cameron Davis is very much the same. He's his two bus finishes of 2022. Excuse me, have come at corollary tracks to River Highlands. He finished third at Harbortown and seventh at Colonial. He ranks third in this field over the last two seasons and strokes gained off the tee uh, on courses under 7,200 yards. And over Davis's last five events, he's been uh, he's been gaining over a stroke per round on a, or uh, over half a stroke per round. I'm sorry on approach and hasn't lost strokes putting since Bay Hill in May. So um, since we kind of transitioned to Bentgrass out of the southeast, um, he's really really improved the putting. The approach play is hot. He historically plays really, really well off the tee when it comes to these shorter golf courses, and uh, he ranks 11th in bent grass putting over the last two seasons. So um, I think this is a great spot for Cam uh, to get himself in contention and maybe capture his second win on tour uh, in under a year. Keep in mind, he won um, at Detroit Golf Club last year in 2021 as a big-time long shot. Again, a course that has those, that bent Poana mix, um, a course that uh, you know has a lot of these kind of mid-range uh, par fours and uh, you know a place that you know, he profiles really well as well. So for me, Cameron Davis, 150 to one, that was just a little bit too big of a number um, to fade. When you talk about like DraftKings plays, I'll just talk about some of like, just maybe two of these guys. Uh, Joel Damon at 80, 85 to one, he's 7,700 on DraftKings. He's a guy that I actually really um, was close to betting this week. You know, when you go five guys or four, yeah, five guys underneath 50 to one, it's kind of hard to to fit too many guys in this in this uh, bottom range in, but I'll certainly be playing like some props on him or some DraftKings plays on him. Um, yeah, Damon 7700. He shouldn't really catch anyone by surprise considering he's coming off a T10 at Brookline. Uh, he held the 36 hole lead alongside Colin Morikawa um, going into the weekend and claimed he was quote hitting the ball as well as anyone out there in a Sunday, Sunday afternoon press conference. So um, if there's any spots to eat the chalk on DraftKings at 7700 or uh, you know play the top 20 play, I think it's right here with Joel. Uh, he's in great position to have another week, another great week on a course that suits him really well. Prior to last week, uh, his only top, his only two top 20s of 2022 
had come at other short positional golf courses, uh, 12th at Heritage, 6th at Pebble, and he recorded his best ever finish at the Travelers last year at T20. So he's o- Joel's always been one of the straightest hitters on tour, and he's right in the midst of one of his best iron stretches of his career. He's gained um, strokes and approach in six of the last, his last eight starts, and he gained eight shots on approach in you know the big the best field in golf at Brookline last week in some of the toughest conditions. So Damon's coming in red hot. He's a guy that I, I think uh, you know could very easily catch a top 20 or top 10. Uh, when it comes down to it, uh, you know he only has one win on the PGA Tour that was at uh, Corrales last year. So. I don't necessarily trust him when it comes down to, you know, staring on the big names because it does feel like to me that, uh, you know, one of these Spieth, Burns, Scheffler, Rory, JT, Cantley, Xander, uh, some of these, one of these guys is going to be down there in the stretch. So I don't particularly trust uh, Damon to really uh, close the deal when it comes to actually not right win. But I don't fault anyone for maybe sprinkle a little bit on the 80 to one outrights. And certainly as like a proper DraftKings play, I like that a lot. And then if you want to go super deep down the board, this is my last uh, kind of spiel of the day. Um, Adam Svensson, 6,800 uh, on DraftKings. I think he's around 200 to one, hovering on 200 to 250 to one. Um, but yeah, Svensson definitely uh, has a type of golf course that he plays really well at. This Just this past year, he's finished seventh at the Sony, a short golf course there in Hawaii, uh, ninth at the Honda Classic, 26th at Harbortown, 40th at Colonial. He's fresh off a 21st in Canada where he gained two shots uh, off the tee on approach and around the greens. Um, so he's a guy that, again, I don't particularly trust him on long golf courses, but when it comes down to positional uh, strategic play, the driver keeps him out of trouble. He's 25th in fairways gain over his last three months, and the approach game has been as reliable as they come as they come on these kind of short iron and, and wedge intensive courses. He's fifth and stroke chain on, on approach over the last year and on courses under 7,200 yards. So uh, again, Svensson, much like Damon, um, it's kind of hard to to tout the win, but he is a guy I think can have a really really good week and. If you are looking for maybe a cut maker in DraftKings or maybe a top 40, top 20 play, uh, he certainly makes a lot of sense to me. So uh, that wraps up everything I've got to say about the the Travelers. And uh, yeah, I really like the card. Again, I think we got some really nice values there at the top, some big names that are playing pretty well. So, um, you know, here's hoping JT doesn't go out there and shoot like 59 on day one and and screw our chances. But uh, as it stands, man, Spieth, Burns, Finau, Riley Mito, uh, Cam Davis, a lot of really exciting names. So hopefully we can get one, uh, you know, have a live one going to Sunday, maybe capture uh, our third outright in a row on the PJ Tour and fourth overall. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm stuck to be stuck to be a part of it and uh, stuck for to look for the third straight here and obviously fourth for the podcast. Um, and maybe, just maybe, we can hit our elusive podcast double as we transition to Nashville here. Um, so, yeah, we'll transition to the NASCAR side now as we are headed to Nashville, Tennessee for the Ally 400. Um, we're going to National Super Speedway. It is called National Super Speedway, but it's not a Super Speedway. It's actually a 1.33 mile um, concrete track. Um, it's kind of unique from a uh, model standpoint because um, it's relatively flat, but it also has 14 degree braking on the turns. So a uh, little bit, a little bit different as far as like what to kind of compare it to. Um, the closest comparisons you can really come to, uh, at least from what I was kind of using, was um, Phoenix. Um, it ranges from like eight to 11 degrees of progressive banking um, gateway, nine to 11 degree track as well. And we also have data at both of those. And then Richmond, I'm um, also bringing as well. You got eight degree on the straights, 14 on the turns. So I think that was probably the most relevant, um, at least for me. And then uh, I wasn't originally bringing in this track, but I did see a few people on Twitter saying that from a statistical model, um, Dover actually um, is a good fit for uh, 
um, how it relates um, from a from a data standpoint. Um, and I thought this is actually kind of interesting because um, it the the tire combination that we're going to be running at um, Nashville is the same left side tire combination that we use at Dover. So we do have that to go off of this year, as well as obviously we've been to all four of these tracks as well. So we've got kind of that 2022 data to bring in. Um, yeah, what's up? Uh, yeah, I don't want to interrupt Chris's point because obviously we're, we're past golf and on NASCAR, but I'll keep this quick. Uh, Chris is right. As of uh, one hour ago, I've been on the air for, for a few hours now. Brooks Kepka is a WD from the Travelers Championship. He's been replaced by Mark Hubbard. So, yes, officially do not bet Brooks Kepka at 40 to 1. Uh, and that's all I got to say. So, yeah, Chris is ahead of the game as far as obviously, uh, at least compared to me. I did not get that notification on my phone. So, uh, my bad. I did not realize that they officially did kick Brooks out. It's all good, because by the time we get this podcast out in the morning, I'm sure he'll be off the boards anyways. But if he's not, and you're looking at the books, don't bet him, obviously. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so we're bringing the data from Phoenix, Gateway, Richmond, and also Dover. Um, Dover, I think, is also kind of interesting as well from um, a comparison track, because of not only the tire combination, but it's a one-mile track with banking of nine on the straights, 24 in the turns. So um, yeah, I think all four of these tracks are kind of are, are good, good bases to go off of. It's obviously not um, it's not that easy, obviously. Uh, we've only been in Nashville once in the history of NASCAR for the Cup Series, so we don't really know exactly what this race is going to bring. But I think that's what brings more fun to it because we don't really know what's going to what's going to happen here. It's also a uh, a concrete track, which uh, I feel like is is important to note because um, of the tracks that I just listed. Um, oh God, I don't know why I didn't write this down, but I believe it is Dover is also the other concrete of these other ones. It's either Gate Dover or Gateway, but um, if I'll try to vet that in a second. Um, but the temperatures in Nashville this weekend are supposed to be near 100. So anyone who knows in the southeast knows it's going to be absolutely brutal. Uh, it has been brutal, and it's going to continue to be brutal for this next few weeks. And uh, Nashville is going to be part of that. So this is going to be the first time we've seen these, this car kind of in these high temperatures. Um, but, however, it is better that we're on concrete rather than Nashville. I, got, I went down a whole article earlier that actually Ryan and I faced race and shared talking about um, how um, track temp differs between concrete and asphalt. Concrete. The, the very basic brief description that you can kind of relate here is obviously if you have a white piece of paper and a black piece of paper and you put it down the ground in the sun, the black represents the asphalt, the white represents the concrete. The black's going to be the hotter, the white's going to kind of be a more sustained temperature. It's not going to be as hot as the black. You kind of got that similar thing going on in concrete. Um, so it shouldn't be as slick as an asphalt track would be. It's able to withstand, withstand those track temps better. Um, so it's not going to be in a, a case where we're looking at, you know, high tire wherever a long period of time. Um, so yeah, with that being said, how I used how I built my model, I used the same tracks that I was brought up. Obviously, I used Phoenix Gateway, Richmond, and Dover. I brought in their driver rating and average finish um, for those, as well as obviously Nashville from last year. Um, I'm bringing in total speed for 2022, the average finish and driver rating over the last six races, and for the first time this year, I can finally bring in bring in the average finish driver rating driver rating over the last 15 races because we're now on to race number 16 of the year. So we can finally bring in that statistical model from um the website that i get that data from um total speed at uh i'm going to put in quotes short flats in 2022 i'm not including all the short flats i'm not including martinsville i'm not including loudon um i'm including obviously the ones that i said below so they're not really short flats but we're going to call them modified short flats and then obviously i'm bringing in um nashville green flag speed and total speed from last year so lots of data points to go off of um so what did the model spit out so our top 10 here is number one Kyle Larson, number two Joey Logano, number three Kyle 
Bush, number four, Kevin Harvick, number five, Ross Chastain, number six, Martin Truex, number seven, Christopher Bell, number eight, Chase Elliott, number nine, Eric Almarola, and number 10, William Byron. So some really interesting names here in the top 10. Uh, we'll be talking about a few of them here shortly. Yeah, and absolutely. So let's go ahead and get to the odds board because I know. Uh, Actually, guys- hang on. Before you oh, yeah. go to the odds board, sorry, I just scrolled down and realized I'm glad I put this here. I put this here for a second for a reason. We're going to start yeah. a little different this week, and I'm going to do a little something different to the betting card this week. Okay. I want you to scroll down to the qualifying odds um, oh. to win the poll. So I'm going to, while you're scrolling down to find that, okay. um, here's some stats to pull for you to kind of gear you to where I'm going here. Um, I think. I've kind of been playing with this on my own kind of personally or privately over the last few weeks. And I think that I might feel like it's worth throwing a unit or two on this on the card, get a little okay. extra units to play with um, yep. going into the weekend. So Saturday's some, what? Some st- uh, it's actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Saturday practices, Friday qualifying Saturday. They're doing a little different this week. Um, but yeah, so nine of 16, nine of the 16 races this year have been won by Fords, the qualifying, sorry, the qual the pole position. Um, Three by Blaney, so that's where I'm going to start the qualifying. But if you want to try to guess where else I'm going to be going here, but um, Blaney at ten to one, I think is worth a unit. And then I'm going to split my other two units between two other guys. Um, based on that top ten I listed, you might be able to get one of them. Uh, I'm guessing Almarola at twenty-five to one is a play for you. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I mean, if you like Ford, I mean. I feel like Cendric hasn't been like in winning form, but he has been pretty good in qualifying. So 25 to one on Cendric seems pretty good. Um, and if I had to give another guess, let's see here. I feel like Bell has been a really, really good qualifier, but I don't know how he's been doing on these type of particular type of tracks. So 16 to one on Bell, 25 on Cendric. That's my two guesses, but feel free to uh, go ahead and spoil it for us. You're, you're close. Uh, Bell is, Bell is definitely in consideration. Um, but I am going to stick to Ford just because of what Ford has shown in qualifying this year and also in the past at these tracks in qualifying. Um, so the other guy is going to be uh, Briscoe at 20 to 1. Oh, um, gonna, yeah. So, yeah, we're going Blaney, Amarillo, and Briscoe. Obviously, we're going to get only a unit on Blaney to win the poll and then a half a unit on each on Amarillo and Briscoe to win the poll. So we're going to do a little something different this week. But to kind of yeah. throw some stats at you here. So obviously, I said already nine of the 16 polls this year, one by Fords, three by Blaney. Uh, but some other notables to, to talk about here. So at, at Phoenix, which is one of the tracks I'm kind of bringing in as my model, Blaney was first, Almirola was fifth, uh, Briscoe was sixth in the qualifying that week. At Atlanta, I know it's not a not one bringing in the model here, but second, tenth, and first. Richmond, first, tenth, and fourth. So this is another one that's in the model. And uh, Almirola was tenth, Briscoe was fourth there. Um, Almirola was second in Martinsville, and Briscoe actually won the poll at Gateway. So a lot of success between these guys at the tracks that we kind of ran. We've already been to this year. So I think okay. a little sprinkle here is a good way to start out the card. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm always down for a 25, 20 to one sweat. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, heck, screw the podcast double. Chris, you just go to the, the poll, the outright winner double and um, cash some big tickets here for us. So, yeah. So uh, Chris has got three bets already on the card here. Before we can get to the outrights, we have Blaney to win the poll at 10 to one. Briscoe to win the poll at 20 to one. And Eric Almarola to win the poll at 25 to one. So, um, yeah, by all means, follow with us and then maybe – uh, you know, heck, if we hit the poll winner on sun- Saturday, all of a sudden it's pretty stress-free going to Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I love those bets for sure. You can always talk me into a into a into a big uh, kind of outright player, 10 to 1, 21 plays. So, with that, let's get into the uh, the real business here, the outright winner, the thing that uh, you know, we can we can really flex on Twitter on a Sunday night, hopefully here. Um, but yeah, there are four guys here underneath 10 to 1. Uh, Kyle Larson, six and a half to one. 
which is pretty surprising considering how dominant he really was uh, last year at, at Nashville. Is probably one of his more dominant races uh, down the stretch in his 2021 campaign. So six and after one, kind of like the the same numbers we saw with Elliott and him at Sonoma two weeks ago. Um, books maybe not giving quite enough credit. That's just my personal opinion. I'm sure Chris will dive into that. So Larson six and a half to one. Kyle Busch, a guy we've been riding a lot recently, eight to one, who's performed really well on some of those correlated tracks. Uh, Chase Elliott and then Ross Chastain at eight and a half to one. I uh, don't know much about Elliott's performance on these type of tracks, but I know Ross Chastain came P2 last year in a Ganassi car. Um, so definitely, you know, with Trackhouse really coming on strong here, Suarez obviously won the last race we had. Uh, Chastain's got to be a real player here. So. Larson six and a half, Kyle Busch eight to one, Elliott eight and a half, and Chastain eight and a half. Do you have a lean here? Do you um, do you have a bet here, or are we uh, moving on further up, up the line? I don't have an official bet here, but I do have a pretty strong lean. Um, but I'll start with obviously Kyle Larson. You touched on him. Yeah, he was. This was probably one of his, other than probably like Texas. I think this was like his probably second dominant dominant race last year. Um, yeah. Obviously, first in driver rating, first in average finish here uh, last year. And then I think he was also, yeah, first in green flag speed, first in total speed. So, like, literally first in every single category um, as far as Nashville was last year. So, I, at 650, like, it's 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 probably not a bad price. But, you know, I've kind of – I've said it multiple times, but I've kind of, you know, anybody under seven – and anybody that, like, under that seven-to-one number is kind of – it's hard for me to tout um, coming into right. the week. But – It's um, the rest of your card you know like that's basically single bullet territory right there yeah. so yeah now if if something were to happen where like he didn't qualify well and his number fell to like seven or eight i'm probably i might be changing my tune here on the guy that i have a strong lean on um but yeah again these guys in this top four range here i don't other than larson i guess i don't really expect their number to change much from qualifying i think it, whether they have a bad performance or a good performance they'll probably stay the same i think the only exception there is probably larson if he has a good qualifying performance he's probably going to jump to plus 400 Right. Um, so I can't really talk anybody out of betting that. I mean, if you're just a casual better looking to come on here and and you just want to hear, hey, who's going to win the race? Hey, Kyle Larson's probably one of those guys. But uh, the yeah. other two leans, obviously, are Kyle Busch and uh, Ross Chastain. Um, Ross, um, or sorry, Kyle, um, third in my model. Um, but I guess really for me was just his performance here last year at Nashville um he was eighth in driver rating 11th in average finish or i guess finished 11th um he was 11th in green flag speed eighth in total speed so the performance last year wasn't as good but he has been pretty dominant at these similar tracks here this year uh the model i'm bringing in for those kind of short flats of like richmond gateway um phoenix he is first in total speed of those tracks so um i think kyle is is definitely a good price he's one of my leans here for sure um, but my stronger lean is on Ross Chastain, and you kind of already touched on it, but the runner-up of this race last year in that 42 CGR car, um, for a team that really didn't show any speed at all, and both the CGR cars um, finished second and seventh last year. So uh, with the speed they have this year, you got to think uh, they're in for a real treat on, on Sunday. But um, it's worth noting, too, that um, his finish last year actually wasn't based on overall or It was more on overall performance than it was period line speed. Um, they did run a different pitch strategy that kind of got them ahead of everybody else, and they were out, able to outlast those who kind of shorted on fuel towards the end. I think Danny Hamlin and Kurt Busch and a few ran out ran out of fuel coming to the finish there. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, he had fourth best total speed at Nashville last year. He had the fourth best green flag speed, and he was a 10th place average running position. Um, of the tracks in my model, he was second in total speed at Dover and seventh in total speed at Phoenix. 
So this is no secret to anybody who has been paying attention to NASCAR this year, but Ross has been exceptionally fast. Um, he was fifth in driver last year at Nashville, but he's first in driver rating of the last six races and the last 15 races in 2022. So that should tell you, now that I can bring in that last 15 metric, he's been consistently the fastest guy all year long. Uh, he's also first and third in average finish over the last six and 15 races, and he's second in total speed um, overall in 2022. Um, so the last notable stat here to mention uh, is actually team-related. So Trackhouse Racing, um, their owner is Pitbull and Justin Marks. Yep. Uh, and they actually go by the name of Trackhouse Entertainment Group, and it's based out of where? Nashville, Tennessee. This is a home hey. race for Trackhouse <laughs> Racing. Uh, you've seen Tootsies on Suarez's car all year long, um, or pretty much most of the year. I guess not every race, but um, yeah, this is very much a home race for the team. So I don't know if that says anything um, about you know the race in general, but it's always fun. You know, you know, the guys, you know, when a team is in their home state, like especially Charlotte or you know, in this case, Nashville for um, for Trackhouse, you know they're going to bring a ton of sponsors, a, a, pun, a bunch of guys that, you know, they want to jump on board. They're going to want to put out the best show they can. Uh, if there's any places they're going to want to win, it's going to be Nashville. Um, and like I said, I, like I mentioned earlier, they finished second and seventh last year here. Um, without the speed that they have this year, I think Ross could be in for a uh, a really good day on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I um, absolutely understand that. And I was going to say something about Trackhouse, but I forgot. Oh, yeah. Um, so just a rhetorical question. Just a bit of a fun question in between all this uh, all this betting talk and odds board talk. But do you think Ross right now would trade his ride with a JGR guy? Or do you think Trackhouse is legitimately like second to Hendrick right now? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, yeah. I would like to think just for like the good of – the sport that like Ross would just be like, no, I'm good. Like, right. Why, why leave a team? Yeah. Like the grass might, the grass may look greener on the other side, but it really might not be. Um, I mean, you heard it. I mean, I know it's emotions are high and everyone's excited, but you heard it from Daniel Suarez himself this past last week after he, or two weeks ago after he went Sonoma. Um, I know he's in a little bit of a different part of his career than Ross is, but you know, Suarez has already been dumped from two top teams and kind of made the comment of, like, this is the happiest I've ever been. Like, I have no intentions of leaving. And, you know, as long as they're going to keep me, I'll be here. Um, yeah. I don't see Ross feeling any differently. I, I wouldn't see, like, for a guy that struggled to find, like, a real full-time gig and now he's got it. And it's for a team that's, I mean, there's no secret. Like, they're going to be racing for a championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I would like to think that he wouldn't. You know, I don't know if, if money speaks and, you know, JG's are able to tempt him with some, some better money, but I, I would think he's going to stay. And I think JGR, they've got enough guys in the pipeline or, you know, guys like Reddick who are probably looking to leave their team if they prefer to sway than Ross Chastain. Yeah, fair enough. Just a, just a rhetorical question. And I believe I'm not mistaken. I saw rumors that the, uh, the track house might be adding a third car next year. Is that, is that a uh, completely baseless or have you heard the same things? I, I don't know if I've actually heard that. I know they're adding a third time part-time car for this year. Okay. They're doing that. They're doing that Project 91. It's called where they're going to bring in drivers from other um, forms of racing to yeah. kind of fill in or whatever. So I don't know if they'll actually turn that into a full time car or not. I think the Project 91 idea is actually really cool because um, it gives guys who would normally have the chance to race NASCAR it gives them the opportunity to. So for the sake of that, I hope they don't. Um, so I guess that's we'll the, see. Um, that's the one that Kimmy's mm-hmm. Kimmy's racing the next road course in the 91 car, correct? Yep. Yep. And Trackhouse has won, Chastain won at Coda, and then obviously Suarez won at Sonoma. So 
Uh, can't wait to bet Kimi Rackinen at eight to one yeah, next exactly. time. Uh, exactly. When he shows up to, uh, I guess his Watkins would be the next road course race. Or? <laughs> I think uh, Road America actually. Road America. There you go. So yep. yeah, just a little aside there. I know we're uh, we're kind of going a little bit off topic, but um, just want to get that in there, just because for me as an outsider, like I mean, it's kind of hard to quantify how good Trackhouse has been. Um, obviously they've won three races, if I'm not mistaken, so far this season, which is more than Gibbs. Um, and I think tied with Hendrick. I mean, it's, let's see. I mean, no, Larson, Byron's got two, one, Larson's got one, Chase's got one. So, okay. So five for, for Hendrick, but yeah, clearly for, for, uh, in terms of win purposes, Trackhouse has been the second best team in NASCAR. So be interesting to see, obviously, um, if, uh, you know, how the, how that progresses as the other teams do their best to, you know, catch up to, to the standard they've set. So, uh, yeah, so that's that gets through us. Uh, that gets us through the kind of single digit drivers here. Still plenty to talk about from 10 uh, to 12 to one as we'll go next. We have Denny Hamlin at 10 to one, Ryan Blaney at 10 to one, William Byron at 11 to one, Joey Logano at 12 to one, and Martin Truex at 12 to one. So nice little collection here. A couple, um, couple JGR guys, a couple or a couple Penske guys, and then one Hendrick guy there with Byron. Um, again, this is usually a range that we like to we have to hammer down on. So I'd love to hear your leans uh, from 10 to 12. So to be honest with you, actually, this might be the first week that this isn't really my preferred range. Um, I kind of do prefer the guys at the top and then kind of the next range after this. Um, the only guys I really do like in this range, just from a value standpoint, are Joey and, and Ryan, um, the Pesky guys. Um, it's a very similar case for Joey that we had, uh, what, three weeks ago at Gateway, where um, the books seem to be kind of low on him and he rates really, really well. I mean, you heard it when I read out my top 10 guys, who's second in my model. I mean, he's really, really good at these tracks. Uh, we're not getting as much of a discount this time around. So uh, I'm not quite on board yet, but I don't think 12 to one's a bad number at all. I think um, he comes in as, as one of the bigger values, you know, when I compare my model to the board. Yeah. Uh, so he's probably my biggest lean in this range. Um, you know, just from looking at the, the uh, similar tracks here, he's got a driver rating of, of fifth at Richmond um first at phoenix third at gateway and then ninth in nashville last year um and at these short flats in 2022 it's he's ninth um so not as good as he was last year in 2021 where he was second at these tracks um but um yeah i think i can't talk anybody out of 12 to 1 but if i'm going to spend the price on on kyle bush or ross at the eight at the plus 850 it's going to be hard to to spend on 1200 here um similar case for ryan actually he didn't rate as well as my model um but a lot of it becomes comes from the fact that he had a really bad race at Nashville. So, um, but it wasn't as really his fault. Um, towards the end of stage one, he reported, um, he reported having, I think it was a loose lug, I think. Yeah. And then shortly yeah. after that, he went and pit and then he like, he actually hit the wall really hard when he actually did wreck. So all the metrics kind of come out really bad for him. That's kind of what threw him down on my model. So I was kind of hoping he was going to be at the 12 that Logano's at right now. And I probably actually would have been on board for Blaney. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I was to pick one of these two guys, I think it actually is going to be Logano. Yeah. Um, but but with that being said, I mean, like, as far as this year, you know, I talked about how Joey's always been better at these tracks, these type of tracks. Uh, Blaney's the only guy of all the guys I brought, if, of the four tracks that I brought in, the Phoenix, Richmond, Richmond Gateway, and Dover, um, Blaney's the only one who has three top fives at those tracks and as far as total speed. He was second at, second total speed at Phoenix, fourth in total speed at Richmond, and second at Gateway. So, and then for Joey, eighth, sixth, and fourth. So, they both run really, really well these tracks. So, like I said, it's it's a strong lean for a reason. But uh, if I'm gonna 
if I'm going to go towards the top, I can't get I can't get these guys. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I change my mind come Sunday and something sways me off of Ross and Kyle, and maybe I just do come down to this range. But for right now, they're they're kind of sitting behind me in my in my tier listing. Yeah, that's that's the good thing on NASCAR is the fact that we kind of get a free roll on the qualifying and the practice numbers. So as those come out, we get more information and uh, you know are able to make infor- more informed decisions than we are here on Tuesday. But yeah, for now, uh, you know Kyle. Ross, Blaney, and Logano are at the forefront of Chris's mind here. We'll kind of move on into the, the mid-teens, into the 20s and long shots here. Uh, we do have some interesting names here. 16 to 1, three guys. Alex Bowman at 16, Chris Bell at 16, our boy Tyler Reddick at 16 as well. Um, you move on into the 20s, the low 20s. You have Chase Briscoe at 22, uh, Kevin Harvick at 22, and Kurt Busch at 25. So um, a nice little mix of guys here. Um, you know, Briscoe's a guy that I feel like Chris has been high on for, for quite a few weeks now. Same uh, with Kurt Busch as well. So... I'd be interested to get your takes here uh, as their price kind of stays stagnant as the season goes on and what you've been seeing in the numbers with uh, with all six of these guys. Yeah, so the highest rated guy um, as far as the model is, uh, well, actually, sorry, second highest as far as the model in this range is actually is, is Christopher Bell. Um, he rates out the seventh. So uh, another guy that I'd very much to consider, but um, not quite enough to make the card, but definitely on the shortcut list for, for a prop. Uh, yeah. But it's worth noting that Christopher Bell has been no short of like really fantastic over this last stretch here. He's he's got an average finish of first over the last six races and a driver rating of fifth. Um, so he's definitely trending in the right direction right now. I hope this isn't the week that I miss out on him, but uh, he's definitely trending definitely in the right direction. And these short flats are are, are good, um, are normally a good track for him, especially Richmond, which I like as a as a comp here for, um, for Nashville. Yeah. Um, the next guy I like, obviously, is the next guy on the card. And you're going to laugh when I say the name, but just let me go through it. But it's Kevin, Kevin Harvick. Harvick. Yeah, uh, it's, it's right. Kevin Harvick. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I know, I know. I swore a few weeks ago that I swore him <laughs> off and I wasn't going to bet him outright anymore. But like you pointed out two or three weeks ago when you said that, the further we get into the season, the more I'm bringing in current data sets. And he's kind of holding steady at the top of my model. And it's I feel like it just can't be unnoticed at this point. Um, so let's start with the historical data. So first in driver rating. First and average finish, fourth and driver rating at Richmond. Or sorry, let me go back. First and driver rating, first and average finish at these short, intermediate, short flat tracks. Fourth and driver rating at Richmond. Fourth and driver rating at Phoenix. Fourth and driver rating at Nashville. Pretty good start, right? So surprisingly, it does get better from there. Twelfth in total in total speed in 2022, but fifth in total speed in 2022 at these short flat style tracks. Fourth and average finish over the last 15 races. Second average finish over the last six races in 2022. So for probably the, about the 15th week in a row, um, he rates out as the best value in my model versus the books. Um, fourth in my model, 13th as far as the books go. I just feel like, I know the win equity we said is probably not there anymore, but if there's a track that I'm really going to trust Harvick at, it's this style track. Um, he ran really well here last year. I just think the further Harvick drifts, the more interested I get. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say. I mean, like, the numbers speak for themselves. There's nothing on this. There's nothing across this model that really kind of that wants to talk me out of this. Um, so 22 to one, I think, like I said, I think it's a good number and I, I can't pass it up anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you alluded to earlier, you're kind of, you're kind of bullish on four this week and a lot of the Stuart, two of the Stuart Haas guys we have on our poll card. So why not carry some of that same speed in the four and uh, you know, get back in the winter circle for, for old Mr. Closer there. So, if I'm um if I'm not mistaken, just based on your typical card, you've got 1.5 on Harvick right now. Is that your unit count? Uh, 1.25, yeah. Well, 1. so 5. I actually got him. So 
I actually got him at 25, so I know he's listed at 22 now. So I guess it would be 1.5 technically at the 22 number, but I did give him at 25. Gotcha. So at this point, uh, it does look like, um, you know, we'll have Harvick locked in at 25 to 1, and then, you know, probably one or two of these guys at like 8 to 12 is, is kind of what we're thinking uh, for the outright card. Uh, probably one, because I do actually have one more name we're going to touch on here in a second. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So we're going to make a pretty key decision point, it sounds like, later in the week at the top of the board. But, uh, yeah, Chris has got one more here to uh, to go over as far as an outright perspective. Let's go ahead and move on to 30 to 50 to 1. Daniel Suarez, the last time uh, we were obviously on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit, he was a first-time winner, the first Mexican-American to ever win on, in NASCAR. So 30 to 1. Again, seems like a pretty damn good number to me. Eric Amarola, 40 to 1. Um, a guy that Chris, uh, I think uh, Amarola finished top five here last year. Chris obviously loves the uh, his profile for the poll, so why not take a shot at him at 40 to 1 uh, to win the race? Austin Cindric at 50 to 1, which I try to convince Chris of every single week. And then Ricky Stenhouse also at 50 to 1. Uh, we'll, we'll throw Austin Dillon in there at 66. If I'm not mistaken, Dillon is uh, a guy that was running up towards the front for a lot of Nashville last year as well. So. Uh, Suarez at 30, Almirola at 40, Cindric at 50, Stenhouse at 50, Dylan at 66. Uh, I'm guessing the, the name has to come from this, this range. Otherwise, uh, we're going pretty damn deep in the 80s and 100s. No, yeah, it most definitely does. And you pretty much touched on it. It's Eric Almirola. Um, the second best value on the board. And I think the first time we bet him this year in 2022. Um, yeah, he was ninth in my model, 17th on the odds board. So this is my value play of the week between him and Harvick. If there's anybody's odds who could change the most based on the Ford qualifying so well this year, I think it's these two guys. So these are the only two guys I've actually locked in. Um, but as mentioned earlier, yeah, he won the poll here last year. So, you know, if he repeats that 40 to one number, ain't going to be there very long. Yeah. Um, so it'd be nice to, to get him for the poll, hit that 25 to one number, and then go ahead and have that 40 to one ticket locked in when his price drops to like what? 15 to one, probably. Very um, true. So, but yeah, Fords have not slowed down in the qualifying category. Um, but finished fourth here last year with a driver rating of second, fourth in green flag speed, third in total speed. This was a really good race for him last year. Um, 20th in total speed this year, but 14th at these shorter flat tracks with a notable third total speed at Gateway, which is one of the tracks that I'm bringing in as part of my model. If you extend back to 2019, he's eighth in average finish at short intermediates and fifth at short flats. So Eric Almirola is very probably not only going to be on the card in a outright standpoint, but probably also a top 10 bet as well, as long as he doesn't qualify in the poll. I mean, like, that's the downside is, like, if we hit the poll, that top 10 bet's going to be, like, minus 150. Um, But if he doesn't hit the poll, I think we could be looking at, you know, Eric Almirola kind of like a double play on the card this week. Okay, yeah. And for those longtime listeners, they know I'm a big Eric Almirola stan, so it it warms my heart to see see my boy here um, touted by Chris here at, uh, at the Ally 400. So, yeah, Almirola on the card at 40 to 1 to Kevin Harvick on the card at 22 to 1. Still plenty to get to if uh, if you do want to kind of talk about the Kozlowskis, the Eric Joneses, the Bushers, the Bubba Wallaces, the Almondingers, the Haley's of the world. Uh, I'll give you free reign. Otherwise, um, you can maybe list a fade or two that you don't like or maybe guys that you are looking for in the prop market here late on a Tuesday night. So two guys I have leans for for the prop card are um... – Chris Busher, for one. We're going back to Chris Busher. I touched on him two weeks ago as well, and actually that kind of looks kind of good as yeah. he finished second Sonoma. Um, but yeah, I think Chris Busher, top 10, probably pre-practice qualifying is probably going to hit the card. Um, maybe even T5 if practice qualifying looks good. But the notable one here to bring up is the three tracks that I'm bringing in as part of my model, or three of the four that I'm bringing in as part of my model, Dover, Phoenix, and Richmond. He finished 8th, 10th, and 15th at those tracks. So 
that paired with the, the fact that they obviously found something at Sonoma. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's anything that can be used at Nashville or not, but if that speed translates, I think Busher could be a good play as well. Not from the outright market, like I said, but in the prop market, I think we'll definitely be hitting him. And then yeah. Ricky Stenhouse. I think we're back actually be going to Ricky Stenhouse Club. Um, uh, this is probably one of Ricky's best races last year. He was actually third in driver rating behind Almirola. So, um, and then sixth in average finish, where, well, I guess he finished sixth because the average finish is only one race. But, um, yeah, so I think two guys who had good runs here last year and have shown, you know, signs of speed this year in 2022 in this new car, um, I think those are both kind of some fun plays. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps us up for the Flag Hunting Podcast here. Uh, episode 36, I believe, with the uh, Travelers Championship and the Ally 400 from Nashville Super Speedway. I'll quickly go over kind of what Chris, uh, just a little spark notes on Chris's card as of right now. Like I said, um, we're deep into Tuesday night, so plenty of time to get those NASCAR bets in and do some more scouting on the track. So uh, the, uh, the for pole position, we have Ryan Blaney at 10 to 1. Uh, that we put that bet in. Eric Amarola at 25 to 1 and Chase Briscoe at 20 to 1, all to win the poll. Uh, so nice little Saturday sweat for all of us, and hopefully we can build that bankroll up uh, for the Sunday race. Uh, as far as the outright market goes, we have uh, early leans on Ross Chastain at 8.5 to 1, Kyle Busch at 8 to 1, uh, Ryan Blaney at 10, and then Joey Logano at 12. At least one of those guys will be on the card uh, come Sunday, um, barring some just crazy practice or qualifying splits from another guy. Um, but yeah, as of those, as of right now, those are the four favorites to uh, lead the card into Nashville this week. And then we have two um, long shots on the card as well. Kevin Harvick, 22 to one for a unit or Chris got a 25. You can find a 25. Um, absolutely hammer that. But I've got a 22. I'll be playing that for a unit and a half. And then Eric Almarola at a 40 to one. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you'll probably play for three quarters of a unit, 0.75. Yeah. So Almarola at 40, Kevin Harvick at 25 um, are locked in bets and then likely one guy from the very top, whether it's Kyle Busch, Chastain, Logano, or Blaney. In terms of the prop market, uh, Chris likes Stenhouse for a T5 or a T10, and then Busher for the same number um, if you are looking deep down the board for uh, maybe some sleepers in DraftKings or uh, some prop plays. So with that being said, man, Chris, if, unless you want to add something to um, to Nashville, that's, uh, that's going to wrap us up. Yeah, no, I think I'm good. I like I said, I think if I had to rate those those four guys that I was kind of going between here, it's, I'd probably rate them uh, Ross, Kyle, Logano, Blaney in that order. Um, and like you said, yeah, it's, it's, that's probably where we'll, we'll land on one of those guys um, for sure. Um, and then you did mention if I had any fades. Um, I guess if I had to fade somebody, I, I don't really, I don't really know that I want to go on record and say I'm going to fade some of these guys. But I guess some guys that were lower on my model than I expected to be, but uh byron is at 10 bowman's at 11 and hamlin's at 13th um yeah. so i guess those would probably be my fades but you know now that i said that they're gonna win the race so don't <laughs> take that for uh don't take that for what it is that's just kind of what the model spit out so that's what i'll go with hey fair enough and, and chris it does sound like um he's got a pretty strong lean that ford's found something over these last few weeks so does he look like we'll be pretty heavily in on ford for um a lot of the props and a lot of the kind of the uh the long shot rights definitely the polls so if you can find maybe an even money prop on a Logano or Blaney over a Hamlin or a Byron, um, you know, that's something that we endorse for sure. So, uh, but yeah, stay tuned on flag hunting um, flag at flag underscore hunting on Twitter. If you guys want updated on any of the, uh, the golf cards or the NASCAR card, um, make sure you hit us up. We love uh, talking, whatever you guys want to talk about, whether it's betting or just general questions about the, the race of the tournament. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So um, for Chris, for me, Let's get four in a row for the podcast. And um, 
yeah, I, I like I like the vibes this week. We got a lot of conviction. It sounds like we're making a, um, you know, we got some really really fun bulls flying um, through the air this weekend. So, again, Chris and Ian signing off. Flag hunting. See you guys next week. See ya.